Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. My name is Angela Diana Greaves, and I'm a woman just trying to work it out. This is the response that my guest this week gave me when I asked her, who are you? Angie is best known as Smooth Radio's Drive Time presenter. Her career has gone from strength to strength, and we discuss her journey to success, which ironically hasn't always been so smooth. From her Northwest London upbringing, her troublesome school life, she was very naughty, but loved and adored her teachers. To her experiences as a black woman in radio and the systemic racism which still exists in the industry. Angie shares openly the challenges she has faced both personally and professionally and how she's overcome them. Whilst I guess we all have a story to tell about where we were in March 2020 when we were told to lock down, Angie's is probably quite different to many. She talks to me about what it was like to receive such monumental news moments before going live on air to the nation. The question therefore for her was not how do I feel, but what do others want to hear? And she shares how she put fear aside to be the voice of reassurance, release and resolve for everyone who tuned in, as well as how she sustained the same energy and positivity throughout the pandemic often having to put her own personal realities and emotions second to that of the nation. Our conversation looks at not only the power of radio, but the power of talking and sharing openly through times of significant challenge. I first met Angie when she was being photographed by Rankin for my book, Let's Reset. But today I learned so much more about this really inspiring woman, and I guess a bit more about myself as well. I really hope that you enjoy the conversation as much as I do. And if you do, please hit the subscribe button so that you can join Let's Reset the podcast. It really helps. Thanks very much. Angie, gorgeous grieves. You know, gorgeous is one of my absolute favorite words, but it is, it just to me encapsulates you. Um, on a scale of one to 10, how energized do you feel today, Angie? Oh my goodness, I'm definitely 10 today. Suki, gorgeous, Thompson. Uh, I'm definitely 10 today, went out for a walk, which is something that I started to do during the pandemic when we were in lockdown, because that's all we could really do. As a result of that, I then started training in my living room. As a result of that, I then joined a gym. And I just find that 30 minutes of walking, exercise, I normally start out and aim to do 30. Sometimes I'm in the gym for an hour, hour and a half. Sometimes I end up doing a class. And what it does for me is 
I might get up in the morning and think, right, I've got all these things to do today. How am I going to get through them? But a little time of just exercise and shaking off that stress, you come back and you go, right, I can face it. So when I got back in this morning, I was like, right, come on, Suki, let's do this. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I went for a walk in the woods this morning to um, think about my day and to think about our conversation, actually. So I've, you know, in my head, I've imagined this conversation already, which is what I love doing with exercise. And we know there's all sorts of physiological reasons why going to the gym, going outside, walking is just so important to us. And it's, um, you know, in our Let's Reset Seven Needs of Wellbeing and Performance, it's such a critical one. Um, Angie, we met because when I was creating my Let's Reset book, I was so kindly introduced to you. I think by Andrea Vidler, wasn't I? Was it Andrea Vidler? Because since we have met, what I have re realised is our paths have crossed yes. many times because of the people we know. So it was either Andrea Vidler, who was my MD when I worked at Magic. It could have been Nicola Thompson, who was my marketing director when I was at Magic. Um, or could it have been Yvonne Thompson? Well, I think, you see, that's the other one. I think it might have been my sister from another mister. Yes. I, it was Yvonne, yeah. Yes, I think it was Yvonne Thompson, yeah. But because you were all there on the same evening and everyone suddenly knew each other, we had that moment, didn't we, where we went, oh, gosh. This yeah, is isn't it amazing? I know. Yeah. And, you know, for those people looking, this is uh, the absolute gorgeous Rankin photo oh. that was taken. Oh, do you know, I was saying to the girls at Let's Reset earlier on before I was coming to talk to you, talking to you is always like kind of drinking a lovely warm hot chocolate or, you know, a nice warm drink because you have the most beautiful voice. And to me, that picture just sums up you as a person. Um, I love hearing a little bit about you know where you came from where you started I know your your parents were from the Caribbean and you loved school you were like me I don't meet many people that love school tell me about where you grew up and, and the fact that you love school so I grew up in northwest London and yes my parents came over from Barbados and we were the first Caribbean family on my road so in terms of embracing multiculturalism you know we were just thrown into it but it was I look back on it now and it was amazing it was a period of growth I think as a child that was probably the best school that I went to um, being the only Caribbean family on the road um, I went to a, an amazing primary school where I grew up in Kingsbury it was very white and as black families moved in, we all became one big family. So mm -hmm. even now, I still keep in contact with people who are from the area where I grew up. My high school was in Harrow. Um, it was Claremont. And I'm still part of a WhatsApp group from uh, what is now year seven. I we, love that. How many oh, people are on this WhatsApp group? There's about 35 of us. I can't believe that. Believe it. And, and the one rule when you go into this WhatsApp group is you've got to give a memory from school that made you laugh. Uh, you've got to give a memory that 
of when you were naughty or an event. And what seems to happen is one person puts something in. Do you remember when Mrs. Hocking, our cookery teacher, do you remember when her false teeth fell out into the cake mixture and it just goes off and we just all, and, and we all turn 15 again and we all get very childish, but it's just, it's right. just lovely. It oh, really I, is lovely. I love that. I love that. I went to school in Cornwall at Truro High School and because my parents still live there, I still know a lot of people from school and we do the same thing, which is, you, do you yeah. remember when we tied yeah. everything together in French and, you know, and, and it does have that absolute. And then our children always laugh because they go, OK, so let we're going to name a boy and hands up who kissed him. And you're like, you're so embarrassed. And we do it every summer, every summer for like every year. And you go, I can't believe we still think this is funny. And we can't believe our kids actually even know the stories and they think it's funny. And it brings out an element of joy that maybe your children have never seen. So all of a sudden they say, mummy is cool. Mummy does laugh. Oh my God, did she do it? I I just absolutely love it. But what's also special about our school group is we have, we meet periodically with our English teacher, our drama teacher, and our deputy head. So my deputy head, my drama teacher, and my English teacher, they all came to my 50th birthday party. And it was just awesome, awesome. Because I didn't tell any of my school friends these teachers were coming. And it, oh my God, it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, that's just so, so it was Denise Reed, your English teacher? Denise Reed is one of the most powerful and beautiful women in my life. She taught PE, but she also taught English as well. Ah. And through her, my command of the English language after my parents divorced, it was like, because I always say my dad was my first program controller. He was an orator. He swallowed a dictionary and his command of language. I mean, he could just walk in a room and take it over with his command of language. And unfortunately, I didn't see him for a long time after my parents divorced. And I didn't realize that Denise Reed stepped into his shoes. And she made me read a book cover to cover called That's How It Was by Maureen Duffy. And when I met with Denise a few months ago, I said, we need to find Maureen before she transitions because that book will always have a place in my heart. And isn't that so interesting? So my teacher, my English teacher, well, she was my form teacher, I think, was called Heather Hayden. Sadly, she she died a few years ago, but um, she did the same thing. So The Hobbit was the first book we read. And for me, gave me that love of English, of reading, yeah. of language. Yeah. And I know for me, that was the start of my journey. And I went to drama school. And was it for you a similar? Because I know you said, well, two things. One, you were really naughty at school. Very. By the headmasters. And you talked a lot. So, so tell me about this. Tell me. And, and you were you had to not be at school for I don't, I don't like to say excluded, but you, you weren't allowed to go to school for a week and then you pretended to your mum that you were at school. <laughs> oh, I'm loving this. Um, <laughs> I was a... I was hilarious. Oh, I was a talker in the class. I was the talker in the class. And I was always outside the headmaster's office. 
because I wouldn't stop talking. And if the headmaster, if Mr. Benjamin was off, then I would have to go and see Miss Phillips, the deputy head. And it was just really interesting because I can remember doing a show once on LBC. I used to cover on LBC. And Miss Phillips called me. She called in. Did she? And, oh, and she did. said, I cannot believe that in all the years that I used to have you in my office making you shut up, you're now bloody paid to talk. And I said, well, who got it right? Oh, but um, there was one occasion, oh, my God, where I got suspended and I didn't know how to tell my mom. And I used to get up every morning, every morning, as if I was going to school. And then once she'd gone, I'd go back home and go to bed. <laughs> and she didn't find out? She did. She only found out because I let the cat out the bag when I was on LBC. That's how she found out. Oh, my Crazy. years later. That's so funny. But what did you do that was so bad that you got suspended? Probably just used some language at the time of talking that's not in the Oxford English Dictionary. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. OK, get that. I get that. So there was this young, slightly naughty, fun. What impact did your parents' divorce have on you? Uh, I didn't really uh, engage in academic for a while I think that's probably when I was at my naughtiest right um and I didn't see my dad for a long time because back then um co-parenting wasn't as easily talked about as it is now um divorce was an embarrassment for the couple and the children Mm. so that kind of forced me to keep secrets but not healthy secrets so if you can imagine you're 13 14 and all of your friends are talking about going on holiday with mom and dad and brothers and sisters and you're sitting there and you can't contribute to the conversation and so you get up and go or are you going on holiday this year yeah but we're not sure where yet so it kind of it could have probably brought out the drama in me that actually mm-hmm. contributes to my oratory skills. But um, I think emotionally as well, it definitely did set me back. Mm-hmm. I think there were elements of trauma and elements of feeling isolated because, you know, my dad wasn't around, everybody else's dad was around. So I didn't used to want to go to friends' houses and, you know, it's funny, you're asking me this now. There's a lot of uh, behaviour patterns that I'm actually working through now that I didn't realise were born out of my parents divorcing. Um, Tell me a bit about that. Sorry? Tell me a bit about that. How, how do you mean? Yeah, so in terms of loneliness and keeping secrets, to me, looking back on it now... And she's going to come round to, to my house. Oh, no, I can't because I've got to do some shopping with my mum. But the truth is I just didn't want to be in a nuclear family scenario because it was something that I loved and something that I craved because I no longer had it. Yeah, yeah. That's so nice. that, that was quite detrimental. I also think as well from a male perspective, thinking about it now, Um, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, probably put me in jobs where up until a point, I always had a female boss. Mm. 
And that was probably a good thing because I wasn't sure how to accept male leadership because my male leadership was taken away from me when I was 13. So, you know, it's, it's, you, you think about these things now. Yeah. Now, um, I quite enjoy working with men. And it's an amazing because when I went to Magic, I was the only woman for ages, for years. I was there 14 years. And I would say for a good seven of those years, definitely five of those years, I, I was the only woman. So interesting. Let's come and talk about that because... I mean, well, it is interesting, isn't it? I, 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 my parents were divorced when I was seven. Mm. And uh, I, the only thing I remember that was bad was I wasn't allowed to go to a party because my parents were divorced. And that, to your point about shame, it yeah. was shameful. And yeah. my dad came back to live in London and we lived in Cornwall. So we didn't see him because of the distance. Yeah. Um, and actually, we, we saw him occasionally on holidays. And I, and I look back on it and think... I didn't have a bad time. I don't remember being particularly badly behaved. I don't ever remember it being a massive issue because apart from that party, I was very cross about that. Yeah. But what I am acutely aware of, to your point, I think is two things, and actually the complete opposite to you. I have worked with married um, older men. So my husband was older than me. My business partner was 10 years older than me. My man, brilliant, massive part of my life but I have a ma an acute sense of abandonment. So, you know, if I have a breakup, um, I feel it in a way that I know is not real. It's, it's more acute. I mean, yeah. even just saying goodbye to people. Yeah. And, you know, my mum's been to stay with me for two weeks. I had to say goodbye yesterday. It was pathetic. It was yeah. like I was seven years old again. I, I was going to say, does it take you back? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's and, I, and and even though I understand it now, even saying goodbye to my daughter and she lives half an hour down the road, oh. we both have to stop ourselves from doing that sort of slightly over emotional thing. And I think, and and I know it, and I've seen, you know, I've seen therapists, I work with psychologists. But isn't it fascinating? Even when you know the behaviour, so difficult to change it because there are dots that are joined from an experience, an adult experience that was put on the shoulders of a child. Yeah. So if you think about it, okay, you were seven, I was 13. Uh, let, let's start with you first. At seven, it's phonics and it's food and it's fun and it's skipping and it's, do you know what I mean? So to be met with an experience that two adults have decided is better for them, how does a child emotionally take that on? You don't have the emotional intelligence to take that on. So that makes you grow up before your time, but it's not from a place of emotional growth or intelligence. It was just kind of put on you. And that's why I think co-parenting is very, very important. Yes. Let's look at myself now as a 13 year old, puberty you know emotions boyfriends oh and then this male says I'm off yeah. Yeah. So. somebody to replace the pain the space and that can be a quite a traumatic period of time I think girls definitely need mum and dad oh 
Oh, I think they both do. I have a boy and a girl and I was divorced yeah. when they were 10 and 8. And they have an amazing relationship with their dad. He's a brilliant good. dad. Good. They're very far away. And actually, since my stepmother died, and my stepmother was an amazing woman in many ways, my dad has come back into my life in a very big way. And I just feel, God, you know, how, how lovely is that at the time when really my children have left home? So, you know, if you wait long enough, things do come round, don't they? But it's difficult when you're in the middle of it. You know, I I, I don't know about you, but, you know, maybe we'll talk about children. Um, There's a lot of angst there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And I can always remember feeling disloyal to my mum if I ever went to see my dad or spoke to my dad. And I just felt the best way to deal with that pain for me was to just not see him. And that was not a good decision. But 12 years before he died, we reconnected and had the most amazing 12 years. He got dementia some years in. But um, if I could just show you something. Which I think... Oh. So he gave me this when I was eight. Oh. Oh. And as you can see, he's still, yeah. Oh, it's a lovely, for those who can't see, it's a teddy bear, enormous yeah. teddy bear. What's his name? Um, his, his name is, is Sylvester. I did used to call him Rufus, but I've named him after my dad now. Lovely. Silverton Sylvester. But when my dad, when the dementia really kicked in, I used to go and see him and he said, oh, you look familiar. I've met you somewhere before. So I walked in with this teddy bear. Ange, how are you? Well, Because he can remember giving it to me. He can remember the day, the date, the time, the pyjamas I was wearing, everything. Mm-hmm. So there is a richness, even though there was a massive space that I didn't see that, there is a richness that we accumulated in the last 12 years before he died. That's lovely. That's yeah. lovely. And, and actually that does show quite a lot about you and you know a lot of my friends say well how can you have a great relationship with your dad now when you've hardly seen him in your life and for me that was it was fine you know he's not a dad like my mum was when I was growing up Um, I have an amazing stepfather who I adore my dad's very important I'm very like my dad as well so for me it was a connection I'm like oh that's who I'm like that's who I look like how weird is that it's lovely but I think there's that sense of I don't hold uh, bitterness I don't hold those sort of things and for me it feels like you're quite similar to that you you can't hold on to stuff too much if you were able to go back to having a good relationship with your dad well I learned that my mum and dad divorcing had nothing to do with me but at the time I thought it was my fault because I'm the youngest of five so it must have been my fault do you see wow. what I mean of course yes yeah absolutely yeah but then we go back to the emotional intelligence. Yeah. How can the youngest of five children bear the weight and the pain of a broken marriage on her shoulders? Yeah. There's, there's no emotional intelligence to do that. So I actually learned through therapy and through a lot of self-awareness, a lot of soul searching mm-hmm. that being bitter because my parents' marriage didn't work. Number one, isn't my responsibility. Number two, it's not my fault. So I just can remember just getting on and saying to dad, listen, we've got a lot of years to make up for. We can't get back what we've lost, but let's really 
you know what I mean? Oh, I, I loved, I just had such a great time. Yeah. So lovely. So look, let's go to you, black woman going into broadcasting. Yeah. How did that happen? How did you get that break? Okay. It was no media course. I was told by my mother to go and get a job, any job, save some money, and two years, leave the job, take the money, and go and train to be a teacher or a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer or a dentist. Something. That classic, that classic. You hear it so often for families that have come over, particularly from the Caribbean. For some there you of them. go. You know, you've got to be a proper job. So I got a temp job at Capital Radio. I was PA to the head of HR and I noticed a year in, I was still there. Mum hadn't said anything. I felt really at home. Two years in, I was still there. Mum hadn't said anything. I still felt very much at home. And one day I was doing an impression of Mammy and Prissy from Gone With The Wind, having a conversation with each other. Yeah. And Jeff Graham and David Jensen were behind the door listening and said, you need to record that. So they listened to you doing an impersonation and then and they said, what? Uh, do you want to be? You on need the to record it. And um, Jeff Graham said to me, you need to. He said, can you can you come into the studio and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And that's what I did. And he used that as a jingle. And then David Jensen said, could you say release the tension with David Jensen. I was like, yeah, okay, fine. And then other DJs would say, oh, can you say this? Can, you know, and I'd be at lunch, Ange, could you quickly come in the studio and read this? Yeah, no problem, no problem. And um, my brother was getting married in Barbados and he told the local radio station that I had, that his sister worked at Capital Radio, didn't say she was in HR. No, no. So, I thought, do you know what? So I got a, a week's worth of programmes and I thought, well, look, if you're going to mess up, this is the place to do it. So I went to Barbados, did these programmes, and I just thought, you know what? This is what I want to do. Oh, and here we are. How lovely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think, and you're so suited to it. And, you know, as your school teacher said, you naturally chat. And I love it. And yeah. I think one of the things that I've loved during lockdown is your Instagram and your social yeah. media. I think for me, you have that real, you have a real sense of empathy. Um, and I, I don't know if it's naturally there. I don't know if it's because you're the fifth child, partly whether it's there, where does, because Jazz, and you've met my daughter Jazz, she yeah. has as well. Some people just, and you don't, uh, not only do you understand people, you kind of understand a whole nation and how they're feeling. How does that work? How do you do that? I think it just comes down to being honest about how you're feeling, you know, how I'm feeling. So I was saying to my producer yesterday, because yesterday was two years to the day that we were told to go into lockdown. Yesterday being the 23rd of March, just in case this is going yeah. out. Right. Um, I can remember being scared. Yeah. I can remember Boris saying, um, wash your hands. Um, wear your mask and words to the effect of prepare to lose your loved ones mm, yeah and I can remember thinking oh my god yeah 
this isn't healthy, this isn't good. And I was on air at the time. It was either the five or the six o'clock news. So imagine listening to that, watching it on Sky News, turning down the TV, the volume, and then opening the mic. Mm. I couldn't let on how scared I was, but I did have to think, if someone else has watched this, they're now coming to the radio for some kind of comfort, some kind of, no, Boris, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to some music. I'm going to listen to a warm voice. I'm going to listen to somebody who's going to make me smile through this frightening time. I'm going to listen to somebody who's going to make me feel, okay, today's a new day. This is a very, very uncomfortable time. And I had to think to myself, okay, if I was listening to the radio, what would I want to hear? Yeah, I'd want to hear someone that's going to take me away from all of this negativity. If you think about it, we had Brexit, we had the pandemic, because we heard it was coming. Yeah. We yeah. heard in the December about what was happening in China. And then we heard it had gone to... America and then we I think for me when I really started to think oh my goodness this is happening was when it got to Italy yes 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 yeah well it's always so right well I had been in Italy with my then partner um those weeks and we'd moved from being where we were meant to be to a different place and we were so pleased with ourselves but we you know we were with thousands of people and then you know like so many people I went down to Cornwall took my kids um, and you know, my partner flew to Scotland to see his kids, and then we didn't see each other for months. Extraordinary. So imagine a household that's not as loving as yours. Imagine a household where, like my parents, the parents don't get on, the kids are witnessing this, and they're locked in a house you want to turn on the radio or you want to turn somewhere for release. You want to turn somewhere for positivity. You want to turn on the radio to hear some music to help you relax. You want to hear something or someone that even if it is for three hours or however long you choose to listen to the radio, will just take you away, take you, basically, this is what I used to say, pick you up from that world and drop you into this world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I had Dr. Julia Jones on my podcast a few weeks ago, and she is a neuroscientist and talked about the impact of music on us physiologically and what it absolutely does. So we know it makes such a difference. And uh, so there's two questions. Firstly, what did you play? What's your favourite piece of music to make you go, it's okay? I have um, a number of artists that I love, and it, to, to name them all now, it, it would be too long. But I will say this, the song during lockdown that I have played for years that had a different meaning in lockdown was Randy Crawford, You Might Need Somebody. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. I've played that song for years. But I I would play it during lockdown and the text messages would come in and the the emails would come in. Angie, I'm in my house. My husband is locked down in Scotland. He went to work for the weekend. He can't come back. 
Can you send that song out to him? The other song was Bill Withers, Lean On Me. Yes, yes. There was. There are so many songs, Suki, that I've been playing for years, but during lockdown, they just took on a different meaning. And it is that, isn't it? It's the taking on a different meaning. You yeah. hear something different. Yeah. And we know with, with that happens, doesn't it? You know, you have a breakup, you hear words that you've never yeah. heard. Yeah, really yeah. Really moment, but I think what you enabled so many people to do was to live through it and and hear music as a salvation, yeah. but also f- to actually lean into some of those very difficult emotions that people were feeling, which again, I think is something you do brilliantly. Um, I, I was talking to a couple of the girls at Let's Reset this morning, Bo and Temi, and, and saying, you know, I was so excited to be talking to you and, and what did they want to talk about? And, and they said, you know, for them, uh, well, they're both in their mid twenties. So they said, you know, we had massive privileged lives at, you know, middle class um, and, you know, different, different backgrounds. But, uh, you know, this was the first moment where it was really hard for them, really, really hard for yeah. all sorts of reasons. We know that, but they said, you know, and, and now we've got Ukraine and we've got Brexit and we've got the impact of everything that's going on. But like me, they can all switch it off. So they can say, you know, I'm having a bit of a hard day today. I'm not going to listen to Ukraine. Or I know COVID is still happening, but I'm just going to ignore. You can't do that because no. although you're playing music, it, you li- you have to link it to what's going on in society. How do you not switch stuff off? And how do you not kind of go mad by it? Okay. I'm going to go back to something that you said, and I hope you can hear the comparison. You were saying that when you've had a breakup, you hear music differently. Yeah? Yes. And what I was going to say is, for those that have had the breakup, they hear music differently. But in the pandemic, it was everyone. There was no, nobody was exempt from this thing. Whether you were Tom Hanks, whether you were Holly Willoughby, whether you were Samuel L. Jackson, it doesn't, everybody was in this thing. Yes. And when I looked at people who perhaps couldn't work or were working from home from the moment they woke up, getting the kids ready, getting themselves ready, setting down homework, doing their own work, right through until five, six, maybe seven o'clock in the evening. There were times when I'd say in the studio, my goodness, this is really hard. And then I've had to stop myself. Angela, you're here between four and seven. Find as much positive energy as you can and just share it. Just share it. You might have been in tears at five to four. You see, once four o'clock news is over, come on, Ange. You might be in tears at five past seven, but between four and seven, people are relying on you. You're being paid to do this job. This was the one time when I will say my broadcasting took on a completely different energy because I honestly felt the power of radio. I know television took a bit of a hit because people couldn't make programmes. Press, well, you know, we're not going to wait for the newspaper when we can watch it on the TV or listen to it on the radio. So throughout the pandemic and lockdown, radio was the strongest medium. And I saw that. I had three hours of that, six days a week. Yeah. What a blessing. Oh, absolutely. You know, I used to say... I used to say, what a responsibility. I now say, what a blessing to be in a position to just hone in on your emotions, 
hone in on your strengths, find the energy somewhere and share it for three hours. What a blessing. God, that's such a brilliant perspective. And I think you're right in so many ways, you know, as a a leader of business, as an entrepreneur, it's, it's kind of the same, isn't it? You know, I can't, I can say sometimes look, I'm scared mm-hmm. or I'm really upset or actually I'm unwell or whatever, but I can't just break down all the time. It's just, you know, it's not okay. And I mean, it's interesting this week. I don't know what's, I don't know what's been happening about this week. I think it's partly because I've been off for a bit and yeah. well, and, and I'm back and I'm talking to a lot of people again. I've had more people cry, want to resign, not from my business, but from other businesses that we're involved yeah. with clients and stuff. And you go, there's something about it, isn't it? And, and actually, it's not helpful if you just go, I'll cry with everyone else, because that's not your role. That's not no. your responsibility. But I love the fact that you say it's a blessing. And that's, you know, I feel as an entrepreneur, it's a real blessing for me. I mean, you know, of course, it's tough days, but I feel blessed to be an entrepreneur, to have built businesses. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's a massive privilege. And, you know, it's, I love the fact I'm looking at you and I think, God, you know, in my, in a different world, I would have loved to be you. I always wanted to be on TV, but actually I think radio, I love it. I absolutely, I'm obsessed with radio. So, you you know, you're the kind of epitome of a fabulous person that I feel like I know. I'm luckily, I do know you a lot more now as a friend, but, you know, we live our lives and we hear things and I have a perspective through your eyes and through what you During lockdown, I was really, like I say, blessed that people would email and send text messages and, you know, on social media, you know, I'd get messages, working from home, I've got the kids, and at four o'clock, when I'm just about to tear my hair out, I say to the kids, go in the garden, turn the radio on, and there you are. Now, I don't know who this person is. I don't know where they live. All I know is they've chosen to turn the radio on when I come on. Yeah. What a blessing. Yeah. Because it could be the other way around. It could be I turned it off. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) So, yeah, it's just such a blessing. And how do you, you know, you do have, everyone has tough days. And, you know, what I've liked about your Instagram is, you know, even this week you said look I've not been here for a few days um what how do you deal with that how do you because you are a massively empathetic person I think with that kind of empathy it's a real it's a real super strength you know jazz I think my daughter has it as well but the downside is it's hard to let go it is it's hard to switch off it's hard to let go And this is only something else that I learned during lockdown. And it's become a skill that I'm trying to strengthen. It's it's like a muscle I'm trying to strengthen. You have to be kind to yourself. You have to go easy on yourself. I was off work last week. So from the 14th to the 21st. And I had plans. I had major plans. And then a colleague of mine, something happened, the person I was going to go away with. And so I thought, all right, do you know what? Let me just stay home. And I started looking through social media because I wanted to tell people, oh, I'm laying down, I'm having a facial, I'm doing this. And it was Ukraine. It was Marcus Rashford. 
It was piano ferries. And I thought about those families. Oh, I know. And it was child cue. And they are the four things that just spring to mind as I'm talking to you. And I just thought, in that moment, if I was to pick up my phone and start smiling, and it's not real. So I'd rather say to my followers, I need a bit of time out. Yeah. And I just need to recharge. Yeah. Because when I do a video, whether it's two minutes, whether it's 30 seconds, whether it gets five views, whether it gets 5,000 views, I just think it's really important to be real because your platform is your platform. And if you're not being real on your own platform, hello, something's wrong. So I did. I, I took about 10 days out and I went back to work Monday and I did a video on Tuesday and I just said, listen, haven't been around, found it really tough. I've just popped out the studio. I'm back and it's good. And and that's real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I think people who are quite empathetic and everybody needs to have an opportunity to recharge, review, renew and reset. Yes. And reset. You're so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and I love, you know, I think social media is one of those things, isn't it? That is amazing. And we've love seen it. And we've seen so many fabulous things happen in the last couple of years. But I love the fact that rather than say, you know, it's a really tough day time. I'll take you through my tough time. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes that's really yeah. helpful. But equally, it's good to I think it's good for your own well-being. And you know, at the end of the day, you've got to still be a brilliant presenter. You've got to you've got to look after yourself. But isn't it important to take a holiday from your job? Yes. Yes. You have you have a job. You go for an interview. Oh, we give you six weeks holiday, blah, blah, blah. That's normally the forefront in everybody's mind. When do I get holidays? Why do we feel that we have to be on social media all of the time? Why do we feel that every day we've got to let people know what we've eaten, what we've drunk, what we're wearing, where we're going, how much money we're earning, what job we're getting? Don't you think like work, because social media has become work for a lot of people. You need a break. Yeah. Yeah, you need yeah. a break. And do you find, and I, I think that's right, but do you find because it's so connected to your job, yeah, you as a brand and you know everything else, do you find that difficult? To take the break? Yeah. I do, I used to struggle a lot more than I did this this last week. I just said, right, I'm I'm out. I'm not I'm not doing this for a while. Because I think it's far worse to put up a post for the sake of putting a post up and you're not being authentic and you're not being real. You know, I've got a very good friend in the States who gives me a lot of um, entertainment news and I could easily just say to her, oh, what's happening? And I could look in the camera and I could read this entertainment news, but that's not real. I'm not being enthusiastic about it. I'd be doing it on burnt out energy. And I just think it's really important. You've got to renew, you've got to recharge, you've got to refresh, you, you've, you've got to reset. And, and I just think it's really important. As good as social media is, it can also have its downfalls because there are people on social media who will say things that they wouldn't say to somebody's face. And that is unfortunately one of the downsides of social media. And that can open up a can of worms. And, you know, you've got to think about somebody on the receiving end of some of these comments. Not yes. good, 
No, I agree. I agree. And actually, I was just looking that the we we had three photos that Rankin took in my book. And the third one was the back of you. So I have a lovely picture of you standing there with your arms in the air. Okay, yeah, yeah. And and, but it was that FOMO, isn't it? It's the fear of fear of missing out. You know, we know it. We see it in work. We see it in our lives. You know, I spent every day talking to people about why you in so many meetings. You know, the feelings of guilt, the feeling of of you know, I, I'm not good enough. I don't I have don't have time to be kind to myself because we're so scared of missing out. We have such a massive sense of guilt of not doing the right thing, of not sharing our lives, of sharing too much of our lives. Um, and I think, you know, just taking a step back and saying, you know, what is important. My guest last week, um uh Alex Partridge, who was an ex-Olympian athlete. What he was talking about was a question that he asked himself, which is, who am I? And I thought, in fact, Tammy was saying, you know, who am I? What, if I said that question to you, what would you say the answer is, Angie? My name is Angela Diana Greaves, and I'm a woman who's just trying to work it all out. It's a lovely, it's a lovely, lovely thing to say. And I'll tell you how I came to that. I went to an event once, I had my girls, they were quite little. When, um, before I was a mother, I worked on Choice FM. So it was London's first black radio station. And oh my God, if you had a show on there, you were doing it for the community. And I still, it, it, it amazes me and I'm very blessed. My daughter's 24 this year. So I've left Choice 25 years. People still say to me, oh, I used to love listening to your Choice. Oh, if I get up in the morning and order. And I can remember once taking my girls to an event and somebody said to both of my daughters, oh, what does it feel like having a famous mummy? And I went, no, I don't wake up with headphones. I wake up with my children. I wake up, you know, with my family. And that's why when people say to me now, if people have said to me before, oh, who are you? Without even thinking, I go, oh, I work at, you didn't ask me where I worked. You asked me who I was. So now I say, I'm Angela Diana Greaves. I'm a woman and I'm just trying to work it all out. Personally, professionally, emotionally. So my mantra for 2022 is balance. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, and balancing my time. Time, because you never get time back. You never get time back, do you know? So we all, uh, one of the things we do is our kind of you know vision boards and it looks at work and life. And we have one word to define our year. And I've done it for years. It was given to me as a gift by a guy called Mickey Denner, who I've worked with for a long time and Paul Arnold. Um, and this year, so I had balance. Yep. Balance, I've had focus, I've had all sorts of things. And I have action this year because what I'd found was for two years, I'd had much more of a balance, some of it a little bit more enforced than I wanted it to be. Um, And I actually, I felt, you know what, I've stopped doing so many things because of COVID, because of being not very well, because of working too hard, working too hard. I'm going, you know what, I need to reprioritize and and be more action orientated. So that's my word. So I love the fact that you have a word. Um, Angela, we've been talking ages, and I've, there's two more important things I want to talk about. Great one that's and one that is that is very important. And I know that you've talked a lot about this, which is discrimination and racism. Yeah. 
Um, you know, look, you are a black woman in yeah. an environment where I can't believe that you say it's still hard being a black woman. I know, which just feels so wrong in so many ways. But then I can't believe, you know, the entrepreneurs get less let's get less funding than men so you know yeah, well there you go there's loads of so really, so, talk right. to me about this because you must have experienced so you know you started off as, as the only black family in your community yeah it's been something that's followed me all my life it's something that I've learned to deal with doesn't make it any easier yeah. I think when people choose racism because I I do believe some people are taught it. I do believe it is a systemic thing that's been around for centuries and decades. And it's going to take a long time before it's truly, truly balanced out. But it has been frustrating um, to be in a place of work where you are performing as well as, if not better than your white counterparts, but you don't get the same treatment. That can be very, very frustrating. One of the things that I was always against was BAME groups, black, African, minority, ethnic, um, or black, Asian, sorry, minority, mm-hmm. ethnic. And I, I what, why, why do I have to be in a special group? And I can remember saying to somebody once, um, do I do the same job as, and I'm just throwing out these names, this is not the people that yeah. I use, you know, do I do the same job as, oh, Nick Ferrari? Do I do the same job as Kate Garraway? Do I do the same job as, you know, I'm doing the same jobs as all these people. I'm getting as well as, if not higher figures, listening figures than these people. Why do I have to be in a special group? Why can't I just be embraced like everyone else? And also, it's radio. I don't think anybody turns on and says, oh, the black woman's on the radio now, let's listen. They're just turning on the radio to hear some conversation, some good music and some warmth. Mm -hmm. Why do I need to go in a special group? And I used the word systemic before, and I think that's what it is, because there are in my opinion, three levels to this thing. There are those that really don't know. They really don't know. So you go into a company and it's got seven floors. Floors five, six, and seven are the management floors. And there are no black, Asian, minority, ethnic people on those floors. So when you join that company, you see that as a company rule. So you're none the wiser. That's just, do you see what I'm saying? It's just the way it is. There are then those who are in relationships with Black, Asian, minority, ethnic people, but because of the language and the culture of where they work, they have to decide, shall I let that person know my husband's Black? Shall I let that person know that my husband's white? It's because of the culture this is a systemic thing. Do you see what I'm, where I'm coming yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, because that person might be thinking, if I let on that my partner's not white, is that going to stop me getting to floor five, six or seven? These, these are just, you know, these are just scenarios that I'm presenting. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying these are facts. These are no, just scenarios. Yeah. And then you see you have those that see it, know it, like it the way it is and want to keep it that way. And that could be for a multitude of reasons. 
that could be because you've had an experience with a black person or an Asian person and it's left you traumatized. So you don't want them near you at work. It could be a multitude of reasons. It could be because you just don't see these people on the same level as yourself. So it's a very, very complex subject, Suki, and I'm really glad you brought it up. But because it is systemic and because it's been in place for a long time, it's not, it's not a one sentence answer that I can give you. So what I do say to students that I work with, although it's very, very different now in that these students are speaking out a lot more, and I'll go there in a moment, always put your best foot forward. Don't feel that because you do your job as well as if not better than, and you're not being acknowledged, that's not a reason to walk, because believe me, they see. Yeah. They see. They know. The powers that be know. Perhaps, perhaps they've not come across somebody looking like me that can work better than. And they're thinking, what do we do? She's good. Mm. We don't think she'd get those figures. Yeah. What do we do? Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It, it, and it is hard. It is a difficult one to deal with. One thing I will say with social media, a lot of millennials and, and the younger um, generation now, they're not tolerating it. No. Absolutely. They're calling it out. Now, I'm not saying this is as an excuse, but it is a fact. My generation, the firstborn British Caribbeans, we were taught to ask permission because mum and dad came here. Don't be naughty. Don't bring shame on my house. Don't, you know, don't say this. Don't, don't argue with the teachers, whatever. And you kind of take that into the workplace. Yeah. And I can remember... At, it wasn't magic, it was another, re- in fact, it was capital when I was a producer and a, an incident took place. And I think the expectation was that I would just keep quiet. And I was like, okay, X, Y, Z just happened. I need to know why. Mm-hmm. Did you just hear what you said? Why did you say that? And that could also be because I probably never retaliated before. So the expectation is she's not going to retaliate. But there comes a point where you've got to say, listen, I'm just as good as if not better than. Why can't I be treated the same? Yes. Yes. And I agree. And I, there's been, you know, I'm not a black woman, but I'm a woman. There's been moments in my life when I've had exactly the same thing. And I think there that, you go. You know, we've all grown through. You know, I grew up yeah. in a I worked in advertising. It was an unbelievably sexist environment and it was accepted. And you know what? I didn't even notice it was happening most of the time. And then you suddenly realise it. You go, I can't believe I let that happen. Absolutely. And that's when you say, whoa, hang on a minute. You've done this twice before. I can't let this happen a third time. I need to know why you're saying that, why you're doing that. Um, And it does need to be called out, but it is, it is, turning around it is turning around yeah and if you know I've been having this conversation oh we, we have it a lot we need more women at the top of business we need more black presenters that are women and men and how do we get how do we get to that place because I think the conversation so often is um you need the very best person and yeah. I absolutely agree that. But there's always this thing of, you know, do you have a certain number of people that you need to do? You, how do you get to that diversity? And I, you know, I've had this conversation, particularly with male white colleagues, 
where they will say, but I've chosen the best person for the job and they happen to be a man that's white. And, you know, it's difficult for me to explain sometimes where you go, look, diversity means that you don't necessarily, the lens you're looking through is not necessarily the right lens. So Um, I think, and I don't know how to explain that to some people. So please try and explain it so I might help them. Okay. So I mentioned to you the company with seven floors. Yes. And floors five, six, and seven are the management floors. The questions that need to be asked are, when somebody goes in at entry level, why do you only see them going to floor four? Why can't you see them on floor five, six, and seven? That's the only way you're going to make those changes. Because if you want the best, they go in at entry level, you coach these people, you sponsor these people, you, you, you give these people the drive or you feed their drive. You put the fuel in their tank so that when they're at floor four and apply to get into floor five, because you've trained them, they're the best. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're not, if you don't have the vision for them to get to floor five, they're going to go. Because that's what happens. They're going to move on. They're going to leave. And that's what happens. And then you see, we spoke, but you said you were in advertising. I'm in media, very competitive industries. So let's take two fictitious radio stations. Let's call one. I'm holding up a Sharpie. Let's call one Sharpie FM. Let's call the other one Receipt FM. Sharpie FM has got a marketing director who is just off the chain. Whatever this marketing director does at Sharpie FM, it just goes through the roof. So the revenue that this marketing director at Sharp FM brings in is keeping this company going. But the marketing director at Sharp FM gets an offer to go to Australia to be a, a, a marketing director at another radio station. You are going to poach the marketing director from Receipt FM because they're already in the industry at that level. What you need to think about is the people down here are thinking, hold on. I could have gone Sharpie FM. Do you understand where I'm coming from? It's so competitive that we have to move quick because we can't think about the revenue we could be losing because Sharpie FM's marketing director's gone. We've got to get someone quick. We've got to keep it going. And that, unfortunately, for those on floors one to four, for them to watch that, that is the nature of the business. Yes. So it means you always employ the same people that look the same and you know it couldn't be you know the saying if you can't see it you can't be it is so absolutely absolutely so I have a saying and it was actually something that someone at a meal said to me I want to be what I didn't see yes yes so when I was at magic if somebody came in I was I was the unofficial HR girl if someone came in and said listen I've got an issue I'd be all right Let me put on three songs in a row. Right, give it to me. What's going on? Because it's important. People need your ears. They need your heart. They need to know. So that's why even now, you know, someone at Global, but hi, Angie, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. Come and see me anytime. I want to be what I didn't see. Yeah. Because then you see those people that come to me will say, do you know what? I got this advice from Angie. This might take me up to floor four, which might give me, to apply for a job on floor five yeah 
that's so just important. Bad. So important, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when I first set up my, actually, I had a gin business before I had Haystack, but Martha Lane Fox, I think, was the only entrepreneur I knew. And I was like, yeah, I want to be like her. Oh, isn't she just? Isn't Isn't she just? She's just. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely awesome. And, you know, in so many ways, in so Mm. many ways. Um, Thank you for sharing that. So I just want one frivolous thing, and then I want to just talk a little bit about well-being before we finish. Um, Hair. I mean, your hair today is in a a sort of top top I've got a top knot today. Yes. But I have an array of wigs. I know. And you have wigs and weaves, and then you've got Ooh, and ponytail. It's been well, relaxed. And I it's see. Something I'm see. always fascinated by women that have this, your sort of hair. Is there so much going on? Suki, say Afro hair. Is it Afro hair? The Afro the, hair. Afro hair, thank you. I'm glad. Thank you. I don't know what to say. Thank you. Afro <laughs> hair. Your sort of hair. <laughs> it's so awful, isn't it? I should asked Temi before and said, Temi, what do I say? So Afro thank hair. you for I'm sorry. Afro no. I love the fact that today I'm in a top knot. So I went to the gym this morning and I just got up, put in a bit of gel and I just put my hair in a top knot, went on the treadmill. Great. I love the fact that I'm going to shampoo this and I can put straightness through it and it will go straight. I might put two cane rows on. Look at what colour dress I'm going to wear. Okay, there's a brown dress. I'm going to put on a brown wig. I've got a shocking pink jacket. I'm going to put on my burgundy bob. Shall I have a fringe? I'm going to have a fringe. Shall I have a side parting? I just love it. Mm. It's like having handbags. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah, I and I so get that. And I you know, Lad, I just flick through your Instagram. You have yeah. so you have so many different clothes, you have so many I different styles. It's fabulous. Yeah, really, really fabulous. Thank you. I just wanted to share that one. And then yeah. finally, look, you know, this this podcast is called about reset. And you've talked us through loads of different resets that you've gone through. And you know, um, we haven't really talked about you as a mum a huge yeah. amount. Um, and that's that's another kind of whole reset, isn't it? Being a mom, yeah. working. Yeah. How have you managed that? Do you do you like me? Or my my two have finally left home and aren't living here anymore. But I did oh, have days when I would be going literally hopeless, and then other days where I go, okay, literally bossed it. I am a great mom today. Yeah. Do you do you have those? Do you still have those moments? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, Fuki, my daughters have never seen me work full-time. Think about that. Tell me about that, because, yeah, explain that, because you work in the afternoons. Okay, so when I first started at Magic, I was doing Mellow Magic. So that was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 8 p.m. until midnight. So never had a nanny, never had a childminder, hands-on mom, took the girls to school, even used to take them their lunch, pick them up, did their homework. Friday evenings, they'd be knackered. I'd go and do my job. Saturdays, they used to come into the studio with me. Mm. Sundays, it was bath and bed. By the time they got up to go to school the next morning, well, I, I was home. So then I did drive. Drive was a difficult one. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't, I I stayed on drive too long. I still get very, very guilty about that. That drive show was between five and eight. 
I wasn't getting home at nine. That one really, it was great for the status as a presenter, but I wished I'd cut that back by about two and a half, three years. But it is what it is. Um, But once Morgan was in year nine and preparing for her GCSEs, I said, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I need to be home. And I said to my then MD, I totally understand this is a cutthroat business and you've probably got demos galore and you could ring somebody up right now and say Angie Greaves doesn't want to do drive time anymore do you want it totally got that but I was prepared to give it up um but he said to me oh there's somebody from another station that wants to leave if I put him on drive and put you on in the afternoons I said what time do I finish you'll finish at five you'll be home by six thank you blessed Suki blessed 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 beyond um, and then when Smooth approached me to do drive, because it finishes at seven, yeah. and because my daughters are older now, yeah. so at the time, my youngest was Italia Conti, so she was finishing at six, she was getting home at seven, that gave her an hour to herself, and then mummy came in half seven, quarter to eight. And then my elder daughter, she was working and she was doing different shifts anyway. So this time where I am now doing this drive, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And then you see with the pandemic, I was doing my show from home. So it was amazing. It was amazing. Yes. So... And in, in, in lockdown, and this is one thing I will say, lockdown taught us to slow down. Lockdown forced us to reset. Because if you think traveling an hour, an hour and a half a day to sit in front of a screen and you've got that screen at home, you know, but some people needed to go out because the home life wasn't what they liked. But that, that was also an enlightening thing as well. But my conversations changed with my girls because before it used to be to my eldest daughter, have you got petrol in your car? If you don't leave now, you're going to get caught in traffic. See you tonight. My youngest daughter, if you want that train, if you want to lift to the station, come now. Have you got your money on your oyster? See you tonight. That was it. During lockdown, oh, my goodness, we didn't stop talking. Uh, do you know that's exactly right wasn't it absolutely gorgeous and and not only did we not stop talking and again we were talking about this at let's reset this morning everyone is now talking still so you know they were saying at the time we we did some work um right at the very beginning with carolyn mccall and britain talking and and you know at the time Bo was saying look that's fantastic and we do need to get everyone talking but now we can't stop talking we're still talking it's absolutely fabulous even my son you know he's 22 he's living in edinburgh he phones me on the way home from his work going hi mom just ringing for a chat i'm like this is not my son this is amazing and that's from beautiful talking about it and you know i think so much of the work we're doing now in in work is encouraging yeah. and enabling the work type conversations to happen in the same way. So I think the kind of post-COVID revolution in a way is yeah. you get that skill, this new muscle, you talked about it before, that we've had to continue. I just love it. 
I think that even now with hybrid working, if you're not completely working from home, maybe you're doing two days in the office, three days at home, you go into a meeting now <clears throat> and there isn't this need to be, right, okay, got everything ready, right, off we go. Okay. Yeah. How are you? Well, I'm not feeling too good today. Would you have admitted that before lockdown? Because the fear of, oh my God, they might think that I'm not doing my job right. Oh my God, I might lose my job. Oh my goodness, what are they thinking of me? I think we've become so much more open now. I would agree. I think lots of people become more open, but I think there's lots of companies that have now gone, right, come on, back to work, get you in the office, even if it's only going to be three days a week. But when you're in the office, be here, you know, turn up. We don't want any of that well-being stuff anymore. We want you working, delivering. It's commercial outcomes and it's bloody hard and we've got a war. And, the, you know, so I think I absolutely agree with you, Angie. But I think equally, there's a there's we're very quick as a society because it's yeah. instinct to go back to where we were. Yeah. And I see in people's lives, I think we've changed and we've learned. Um, I'm not sure. I think time will tell. Some businesses have fundamentally learned and they've changed. I yeah. think some are so fast to go back to where they were with a little bit of oh but we need to work flexibly so we'll just we'll just do that um so i think there's a way to go a way to go do you not feel that when people are in an environment where they're relaxed they perform better of course of course but then you know actually we were just talking about having diverse senior leadership teams there's all sorts of evidence that shows of course that makes more sense yeah course being able to listen to a black woman a white woman a black man a white man talk about things from their perspective is brilliant because we want different perspectives that's the absolute same we know well-being and performance are intrinsically linked but we haven't grown up with that they are on your fifth fifth sixth and seventh floor that's the culture it's the culture. So that's going, the culture. Oh. And then we've done two years of going, oh, we better put that well-being stuff up on the seventh floor. Yeah. So enlightened CEOs have done that. Amazing. But yeah. now they're going, oh yeah, right. Well, we don't really have it here because we've all gone back now. We're all back in our rightful places up to floor five or six. And it's not there. So we're looking upwards, we're going, oh, that we love that moment, but it's not really our culture. So let's go back to where we were. How do we capture how do we recapture that moment? How do we reset? Well, I think it's the same way that we've been looking at societal change, isn't it? We have to do three things. We have to believe it. The senior management have to be it. They have to show the behaviors so that people know it's authentic. Comes right back to your point about Instagram at the beginning. Don't just say stuff if it's not authentic and you don't believe it. We need to learn some skills. So there are some, you know, there's some things that you have learned, we've learned, that you've learned, that psychologists know because they study it. So you can teach people skills around how to have a great well-being conversation. You can teach people about how to deal with guilt, how to perform better, how to have a conversation. Are you okay? Things like that. You know, you're highly empathetic. Lots of people aren't. And they Mm. don't know how to say, no, really, how are you? And, And maybe ask again, because the first time, People don't really answer. Um, And then you have to change the culture. So, you know, we've just trained a thousand people into, we've been running a program with them for 18 months, and we've just trained a thousand people in, uh, how are you, the art of it, having that wellbeing conversation, culturally changing. So not having a mental health first aider when everyone is 
uh, you know, absolutely the point of need. How do you get people to be okay most of the time? Yeah. And, and you know, it's not massively difficult, but it's just not what we've done. It's not the culture, it's not what we're born into. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, Suki, it's oh, been lovely talking to you. So lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much, Angie. You, you are, are welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, I will see you again soon. I hope in real life we can have a real life hug. Yeah. We need to meet more regularly. Yes. Yes. Well, let's do that. 2022, yours is balance, mine's action. Between us, we can have a bit of a balance of life, a bit of action to make it happen. There you go. Balanced action. Balanced action. Thank you, Angie. Lovely to talk to you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.